Turn with me tonight to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. It was Tuesday on the last week of Jesus' life, the Passion Week, and he was instructing his disciples about the signs of his coming and the end of the world. We're going to pick that up at verse 29 and read through the end of the chapter and then focus our attention on verses 36 through 44. Chapter Matthew 24, verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four corners, from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Now here begins the text for the sermon. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, and one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, and one shall be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore. For ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Now that's the end of the passage, but let's read the rest of the chapter, because we're going to refer to that too. Who then is a faithful servant, a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So far we read God's holy, inspired word. As I said, this narrative of Jesus was spoken on Tuesday of the Passion Week, the last week of his life, to his disciples, explaining to them the signs of his coming and the end of the world. He pointed out that the gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all the nations. There will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be catastrophes in nature, apostasy in the church world, and then tribulation for the church culminating in the great tribulation of the Antichrist. He had even spoken of the events immediately preceding his return, verses 29 and 30. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. 
and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they shall see the, sign of the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and glory. And then we're told what will accompany the actual return of Christ. He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And then a parable to make clear just how close this end is. When you see the fig tree putting forth its leaves, you know that summer is just around the corner. When you see these signs that I've told you appear, then my return is just around the corner. And now in the passage that we consider tonight, Jesus instructed the church, the disciples, and the church of the New Testament era to watch and be ready for his coming. No man knows the day nor the hour of his return. However, his return will be sudden, unexpected, even as was the flood in the days of Noah. Therefore, it is important that the church be in a constant state of watchfulness and readiness. And we're going to see tonight that to be ready for the Lord's return is to be found of him, faithfully serving him as our Lord in obedience. If that's how we live, we're ready. If that's how we're found, well, we will be judged according to our works. And this applies now to the Lord's Supper we heard, we celebrated this morning. The gospel of salvation, Christ crucified, salvation in him was set before us in visible form. Now in the strength of the word and of the sacrament, it is our calling to be faithful in serving our Lord, to be in a constant state of readiness to meet him when he returns. I call your attention to this passage under the theme, Watch and Be Ready. Notice, first of all, an unknown time. Secondly, an unexpected timing. And finally, an important warning. Jesus says, but of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. That day. That's the day of the Lord's coming as the Son of Man, just mentioned in the previous verses. On the basis of his perfect sacrifice on the cross for the sins of his elect church, Jesus has been exalted to the highest heaven, seated at God's right hand, made Lord over all. And there he rules the affairs of men and of our life our homes, our church. But he's going to return one day in the clouds of heaven in all his power and glory. That's going to be a great day of salvation for the church, but a day of terrible and total disaster for the ungodly. Now, no one knows the day nor the hour of his return. No human knows the day nor the hour. No matter how well versed a man or woman may be in scripture, no matter how experienced a child of God may be, none of us knows the day nor the hour of Christ's return. 
And Jesus adds, not even the angels of heaven at that time knew the day nor the hour. Now, the angels have a very close relationship to God. According to Matthew 18, verse 10, they always behold the face of the Father in heaven. And according to verse 33 of this passage, they're going to be directly involved in the return of Christ. And Christ shall send his angels with a loud, the sound of a loud trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. But even the angels, at least at this point in history, didn't know the day of his return. And now to add to this, what we find in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verse 32, not even Christ at that time knew the day, but of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Now you ask, how can that be? Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity. Doesn't he know? Well, according to his divine nature, he knew. But according to his human nature, because Jesus is the mediator, God come in our flesh with a human mind, a human soul. And this goes beyond our ability to grasp. And we will never, I'm sure, understand the connection between the divine and the human in our Savior. According to his human nature, at that point, he did not know the day nor the hour of his return. He does now in glory because he is working towards it. He's preparing all things for his coming. And we, we see what are called the signs of his coming are really the works of Christ making everything ready for his return. He knows now, but he didn't know then. That fact serves once again to illustrate that God has not revealed the fullness of his counsel concerning the future. What is God's counsel? Sometimes people call it God's plan. Okay, but that's not a biblical term. The counsel of God is the eternal good pleasure or will of God according to which he has predetermined everything that shall ever exist or take place in history. Nothing happens by chance. Nothing happens without God knowing about it. Nothing happens without the hand of God bringing it about. We read in Ephesians 1 verse 11, God works all things, all things according to the counsel of his will. And so we read in Acts 15, 18, known to God are all his works from the beginning. Imagine that. Everything he's ever going to do, ever has done, ever will do, he knew from eternity. His counsel. And God's counsel has a goal, an ultimate purpose, which is to glorify himself in Jesus Christ through the salvation of his elect people. And all the details of God's counsel are designed in perfect wisdom to accomplish this great goal. And God has revealed many things to us in Scripture. In fact, all that we need to know about our salvation. The Belgian Confession, Article 7, teaches the Holy Scriptures contain the will of God. And that whatsoever man ought to believe unto salvation is sufficiently taught therein. All you need to know for salvation is there. Writing to Timothy, Paul in 2 Timothy 3, verse 15 and following says that the scriptures are able to make one wise unto salvation. All scripture is profitable. for instruction, for correction, for reproof. Well, the King James says, for 
instruction in righteousness. And I forgot what the original is. I may do that. However, there are many things concerning his counsel and the future that God has not chosen to reveal. He has not revealed, for example, who are the elect and who are the reprobate. There are people who act like reprobates, but we don't know if they are. God's elect people turn up at the most surprising places. There was an elect child of God at the cross scene who came to know Jesus the last hours of his life. There are many details of biblical history that we would like to know as we study Scripture. We don't know the day of our death. Nor do we know the day and the hour of Christ's coming and the end of the world. He has chosen not to reveal these things because he has determined in his wisdom that either we don't need to know them or it is better that we don't know them. And we'll see later on that in the case of the exact timing of Christ's return, it's better that we don't know nor are we to pry into the secret things of God's counsel. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, reads this way, The secret things belong unto the Lord, our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. Notice there are secret things that belong to the Lord. And then there are the revealed things that belong to us and our children. That's right here. These are the revealed things. They belong to us and they belong to our children and we better instruct them. But we limit ourselves to that and we don't pry with speculation into the secret things of God. All that will do is distract us from the revealed word of God that we and our children need to know. And that includes trying to determine the day and the hour of the Lord's return. Now we do know from verse 14 of this chapter that as we look at the progress of the gospel, we can sort of know where we are in history. This gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all men, all nations, and then the end shall come. When the gospel has been preached worldwide, then the end will come. So we, we, we get some idea. But to predict the exact time is sinful and hurtful. And it's been done again and again and again. We were in connection with Harold Camping in the late 1900s. In fact, I was there in Alameda, California, twice. He wanted, he was investigating possibly having some kind of relationship with our denomination. I ate at his house. And in many ways, he was so orthodox. He had a call in radio program, family radio. Many people learned a lot. But he got into predicting the day and the hour and took upon himself the thought that the Lord had shown him. And he called everybody to quit the church. The era of the church was done. And the Lord was going to take care of his people through family radio. And by the time he got done, he had lost the gospel completely and misled a lot of people. That's what happens. That's what happens when you speculate about the secret things of God and the day of his coming. Well, moving on to the second point, we see that Jesus compares the day of his coming with the time of the flood. But as the days of, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. 
For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. The flood in Noah's day came suddenly, unexpectedly upon the world and swept them all away except for eight souls who were in the ark. We read in Genesis 6, verse 5, of the great wickedness of man, 120 years before the flood, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. Now, that's total depravity. And due to a number of factors, God gave them long life, due to the facts that he gave them prosperity, that they had we're filling the cup of iniquity. It was so bad that if God didn't do something and destroy them, the church would be wiped off the face of the earth. There were only eight souls left in the church in the, among millions upon millions of people. And Jesus gives us insight into the wickedness of, of the society at that time. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. We eat, we drink, we marry, we give in marriage. But if that's what characterizes a society, you're talking about a pleasure-mad society. Hedonism. Serving self rather than God. Let us eat and drink and be merry. That's what characterized the days before the flood. And when society gives itself over to pleasure, then sin of every kind abounds. And there's no restraint. That was the case before the flood. And so God determined to destroy the world and instructed Noah to build an ark to save himself and the church. For 120 years, Noah and his son were building on that ark. And they did more than that. They also preached righteousness, says Jude in his epistle. They warned the people of impending judgment. They warned them of their wicked lifestyle. They warned them of what was going to come. In spite of that, the people continued to eat and to drink and to serve themselves and to wallow in sin right up to the time of the flood, and they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. They didn't know the flood was coming in spite of the warnings, in spite of the fact that seven days before the flood came, God miraculously sent animals into the, into the ark, two by two, and in some cases with clean animals, sevens. That was ignored too. And so the flood came upon them suddenly, unexpectedly, and swept them all away. So also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. The Bible views the flood of Noah's day as a type or picture of the end of the world when the Lord comes in judgment. In keeping with that, Jesus indicates that history is going to repeat itself. Society generally will be given over to pleasure, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, serving self rather than God, seeking pleasure, filling the cup of iniquity, No sin will be restrained. And we can see that in our own society, can't we? Romans 1 speaks of the judgment of God upon a society that serves the creature rather than God. And it finally comes down to the degradation of homosexuality. Not only does that prevail in our society, it's now accepted as a normal alternative 
It's protected. And there's homosexual marriage. And now we've gone a step further in transgender. Children, young people, can start changing supposedly their gender. And parents aren't even allowed to know. Gender is no longer determined by biology, but by psychology, how I want to be. That's where we're at. Furthermore, society is ignoring the obvious fact that there's coming a day of judgment on all this. The church has been and will continue to be warning the world of impending judgment. Whenever the gospel is proclaimed from the pulpits, from the radio, from the internet, when the gospel is truly proclaimed, judgment is being proclaimed, the world is being warned, and the world pushes back. They don't want to hear it, but we must not let that deter us. And in addition to that, the warning of the church, there are the signs of Christ's coming that confirm the message of the gospel. Terrible things are happening more and more that speak of impending judgment. War and rumors of war, war of terrible, terrible consequences. Some say we might be on the verge of World War III. In what context does war develop? All morals are gone. Sinfulness, wickedness. That's judgment upon a sinful world. Disasters in, nation, disasters in, in uh, catastrophes in nature. Diseases. The result of evil living. It's all there. But the world generally ignores the warnings of the church and of the signs of Christ's coming. And when the Lord comes, they will not know, even as the days of Noah, they knew not the flood was coming, neither will this generation, and they'll be swept away. And Jesus illustrates the suddenness of this in verses 40 and 41. Listen. Then two shall two be in the field, and one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Now this is often cited by those who are of premillennial uh, per persuasion that this refers to a rapture. Premillennialism is embraced and taught by a lot of the Baptist Bible churches. And they look ahead to a thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, restoring the temple of the Old Testament covenant and the throne of David. And what they're teaching is this, that any time, it could be at tonight, there's going to be a rapture. Christ is going to come and um, it's not gonna, you're not going to see him, but the church of the new covenant, that's us. Living and dead will be taken up to heaven suddenly to be with him in the air. And then there's going to be a seven-year period of tribulation for the Jews. Then Christ is going to return visibly at the end of that seven-year period with his glorified church and give attention now to the covenant of the old dispensation with the Jews. See, they, dis they separate the old and new covenants, which they shouldn't do. But then, now that's going to be on the front burner, and so the Jews are going to be restored along, and they're going to enjoy a worldwide peace, uh, prosperity, and kingdom for a thousand years with the Gentile church. And here is reference to that rapture. 
Two shall be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, the other left. Sounds pretty impressive, doesn't it? Except Jesus is not talking about something he's going to do a thousand and seven years before the end of the world when he comes for final judgment. He's not talking about some rapture prior to the end of his, of his coming, a thousand and seven years prior. He's talking about what's going to happen at the very end of the world when he comes. And Jesus describes two situations. Two are in the field working. The one is taken. The other is left. Two women grinding at the mill. The one taken. The other left. Grinding was performed chiefly by hand. There were two big millstones about two foot in diameter and six inches thick. The bottom one was fastened, the other one rotated with handles on it, and this was the work of the lowliest slaves, women, grinding back and forth. Well, they're going to be grinding at the mill, and one's going to be taken, and the other left. The meaning in both examples is the same. Two people are working side by side in their daily labors. The one shall be taken by the angels that gather the elect from the four winds. That's what Jesus said was going to happen when he returns. And he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. That's what's going to happen at the end. This elect, that elect, that are still living, snatched, brought to him. The next chapter speaks of the final judgment, and already they're divided. They're not mixed together in the final judgment. There are his people, and they're the ungodly. They're already separated. The day of the Lord's coming one will be snatched, the other left. Sudden, unexpected. Now we come to the warning. Verse 42, watch therefore. For ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. And then verse 44, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Watch. Be ready. Those belong together. To watch means to be on the alert. There could be something, some impending disaster, some great event. Be on the lookout. Pay attention. Pay attention. And only if you pay attention are you going to be ready for it. Then you're ready for it to come. If you don't watch, you're not going to be ready. And you're going to be taken by surprise. And that's what we must do with the day of the Lord. We must watch and be ready for the Lord when he comes. The day of the Lord is going to be a day of great calamity for mankind generally. They're not watching. They're ignoring the signs. They're ignoring the church. They're ignoring the gospel proclamation of judgment. And they won't be ready. We must watch. Be ready for the Lord when He comes. And what does that readiness consist of? 
Does that mean that we're all sitting on a hillside waiting for him to return? Might be today, might be tomorrow. Let's take some more vacation. Let's quit our jobs. That's what some were doing in the church of Thessalonica. And they became busybodies and they became a problem in the church. No, that's not being ready. Being ready for the Lord's turn, return is not being ready for the fireworks to start. To be ready is to be a faithful servant. Busy serving the Lord. Notice, Jesus is coming as Lord. Watch, therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Jesus is our Lord. How did he become our Lord? He bought us. Spiritually, we belong to Satan from the fall. But he came and paid the ransom price to God. Now we belong to him. And he has work for us to do. We are to serve him. It's a good service. We are to love him and serve him. And, and each one has a, a special place of service in his kingdom. It's a joyous service. Unlike the service that we had naturally with Satan. That would bring us only into despair. If you serve Satan, he doesn't care about you. He uses you, but not Jesus. But he has work for each one of us. As children and young people, you have work to do, don't you? In love, you're to serve him by preparing yourself for future work in the kingdom. As husbands and wives, you've got service work to do in service of the Lord. As parents, you've got service to do in the work of the Lord. As grandparents, you do. When you go out to the workaday world, you've got work to do in the service of the Lord. Are you a stay-at-home mom? You've got work to do in the service of the Lord. And there comes a day of reckoning when he will judge us according to our works. Have you been faithful? Now listen to the last part of this chapter. Who then is that faithful servant and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? So he's left. And he says, I want you to give the other servants food in their proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord when he cometh shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he, when he looketh not for him, and an hour when he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see what it means to be ready for the Lord? To be busy serving him. In the work he's given you to do as his redeemed servant. The good work, the blessed work he's given you. Then you're ready. Then you're ready. And the point of this passage is that we must be in a constant state of readiness. Jesus makes that clear in verse 43. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered or allowed his house to be broken up. There were four watches in the night, from six at night to six in the morning. Four watches, three hours at a time. 
Well, if you want to make sure that your house isn't broken up and by a thief, you've you got to be watching. All four watches have to stand. They all have to be ready. If the good man of the house says, well, it's, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, it's not going to happen now. Let, let's, just, let's just quit. Well, that's when he's vulnerable. He's not ready. His house may be broken up by thieves. So also is it with the coming of the Son of Man. We do not know when the Lord will come. In fact, he will come at a time when we think not. That's verse 44. Therefore be ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Now that's true of the ungodly, isn't it? They're going to be like the society in Noah's day. They're going to be taken totally by surprise, but he's addressing the church here. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. And again, we can't speculate. We shouldn't try to speculate. How is that going to be? But the, final, the fact of the matter is that when Christ finally does come, the few elect that are still on the face of the earth after the great tribulation are going to be surprised. Oh, here he is. And so we must be in a constant state of watchfulness and readiness. And that explains why the Lord doesn't tell us when the day of his return will be. So that we will be in a constant state of readiness, serving him faithfully in our place and calling in his kingdom. If at school, you know there's going to be a quiz, but you don't know when it's going to be. But it's going to be an important one that's going to have a lot to do with your grade. Well, you don't know when it's going to be, but if, uh, well, you don't know. You're going to be ready every day if you take it seriously. You'll be ready. But if the quiz is going to be two weeks from tomorrow, oh, you might slack off. Yeah. No sense of getting ready now. And then you better like me when I was in college. <laughs> I did half the semester's worth of work in two, two weeks. At least for a while I did. It didn't turn out so good. It didn't turn out so well. Well, the same thing with the day of the Lord's coming. We, it's best we don't know. And so that we may be in a constant state of readiness, serving the Lord, looking for him. We need to be diligent in the use of the means of grace, including the Lord's Supper. Living in constant readiness is a matter of faith. It's by faith that we serve the Lord. It's by faith that we're ready for him to come. And the stronger our faith, the more we are ready. And God uses the preaching as well as the sacraments to give us faith, to maintain our faith, and to grow us in that faith. The canons, head five, the first section, article 14, says that God uses exhortations, threatenings, and promises of the word to preserve, continue, and perfect the good works of grace he has begun in us, and he also uses the sacraments. Well, the motive to be ready for the Lord must be gratitude. Here the Lord has redeemed us from Satan's power, He's given us the privilege of being servants in his house and kingdom. What a great blessing. And that's what we, that should be impressed upon us by the Lord's Supper this morning, where his perfect sacrifice for us, to redeem us from sin and Satan, to make us his own, was set before us. Gratitude. 
But now this passage gives us a warning and a threat, doesn't it? Watch out. The Lord's coming at a time that ye know not. It's going to be like the days of Noah, where the vast majority are going to be swept away. Watch out. Be careful. Be ready. We need that too. Some will respond. The Lord's not coming for a while. I knew a man who said it's going to be a long time before he comes back. And we do know, and we are taught properly, that the Lord's not coming back tonight, or probably not next week, because there are certain things that must happen yet, according to Christ's own instruction. The Antichrist must come. There must be the great tribulation that brings the number of the church down to a small number. That hasn't happened yet. We can see the warning signs of that developing, but we're not there yet. So there's no reason to be ready right now. There's no urgency right now. We can slack off. We can go do our own thing. You know something? That's foolishness. That's the devil talking. That's your sinful nature talking. You know, we've been talking tonight about the day of Christ's return. Will he return in the lifetime of some of you folks? Very well possible. But if you don't live to see the day of his return, you're going to die before he comes. He's going to return for you in death. And then there will be the same judgment. Are you ready to meet him? Oh, don't say I'm young. Don't have to worry about that. Yeah, it's just for old people. You know my first funeral? 11-year-old girl. Killed in a farm accident. Edgerton, Minnesota. I learned this phrase from the old wise people. A lot of them didn't have more than a third grade education, but they had a lot of wisdom. You expect the old to die, but the young can die. And in my ministry, I've dealt with that quite a bit. Death coming unexpectedly. Unexpectedly. Are you ready? Are you ready for the Lord? How easily, if we take a casual attitude, there's plenty of time, how easily we come under the power of sin that can dominate and control us. That happens to some in the church. And they perish in their sins. They die in their sins. Under the complete control and dominance of sin. They're alcoholics. They're thieves. They're immoral. They die in their sin. They're so under control of sin. They die in their sin. And when that happens, of course, that means that they were only nominal members of the church and covenant. They weren't true members. And yes, there are others, the elect of God, who fall into sin and come under the control of sin, and God does deliver them, but at a terrible, terrible cost. I've seen that too. But don't forget, if you allow yourself to come under the control and power of sin, you have no reason to believe that you are one of God's children. That's not how God's children live. Let me tell you a story. In one church I served, there was a man. 
whose family went there. And he had been excommunicated for adultery, for drunkenness, for lying. And he confided to me later, he says, Reverend, when you fall into one sin, you get sucked into every sin. And he was, un, it was, he was controlled by them. And I remember one time on a family visitation at his house. He didn't have to be there, but he was. And he was terrified. He said, help me, help me. I'm going to hell, help me. He could not shake loose from the power that, of sin that gripped him. Help me, I'm going to hell. Well, God was working in his heart. And by the grace of God, he did overcome those sins and was restored to the church. The only time I ever read the form for readmittance. But in the process, he left a wake of destruction for himself, for his family. Be careful. You don't know the day of your death. Would you want to meet the Lord tonight? Are you ready to meet him? Well, I hope no one dies tonight. It may well be that some of us will live to see the day of the Lord's return. Are you watching? Are you ready? Are you living in a constant state of readiness? The Lord will come at a time that ye think not. Watch and be ready. Amen. Father in heaven, we're thankful for thy word tonight. Bless it to us, O God. Give us wisdom to be wise, to be ready. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.